Blog Talk Radio. Live from Washington, D.C., it's quintessential listening. Poetry Online Radio. QLPOR, as it's widely known, features a bevy of poets, spoken word artists, and live poetry readings with best-selling authors. Your host is Dr. Michael Anthony Ingram. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to the program. Tonight, we will celebrate National Women's History Month with, again, this very special program. The performers, the poets will be Valerie Beers, Linda Embler, Linda Olson Graham, and Jerry LaGuardia Leonard. They will share their poetry and perspectives on women in poetry. But first, let's discuss the theme of the program, From Whence We Came, a phrase that President John F. Kennedy used at the dinner for America's Cup Cruise in 1962. What does the phrase from whence we came mean? According to most dictionaries, whence refers to the place, source, or reason for something. Tonight we're celebrating women in poetry. Where did these incredible poets start and how did they reach this poetic stage? So at this point, I give you Valerie Beers. Hello, Dr. Ingram. Not snowing. <laughs> Thank you for having me on this show yes. for this very important month. You can start your your journey, Valerie. Okay. Uh, well, I, I want to start out with. Uh, Women's History Month, um, haiku, if that would be all right. Uh, Let's see. Uh, Okay. Women gave you life. Why are you restricting us? You need us. We know. The end. Are you there, Michael? Are you there, Dr. Ingram? I don't hear anything. What I'd like you to do oh, is to, there continue, you are. Yes, to continue sharing your work for the next 15 minutes or so, and then of we'll course, talk at the end course. of it. All right. Fantastic. Thank you. I have a um, another haiku for International Women's Day 2022. So last year, um, I wrote, well, I wrote this International Women's Day poem haiku this year, but it's about last year. All right, so it goes, she hearted my tweet. In war, Olena read my words. Big deal to me. Now, Alina is the wife of the uh, Ukrainian president. Um, I can't think of his name right now, and I can't think of his last name, Um, but I sent out a Happy International Women's Day tweet, and she hearted it, and that's how that came about. Okay. 
Did you know the colors of the Women's History Month are purple, green, and white? And I know you said, uh, Dr. Ingram, you said purple. Uh, You did your flyer in that. That's great. That's awesome. Okay. Now, I'm going to read some Dorothy Parker. She is one of my favorite women poets. And you might remember her from the 20s. She was part of the Algonquin Roundtable. Um, she's done short stories. She's done poetry. Um, I'm going to read one of her poems. This is called A Very Short Song. I like short, the short poems. Can you tell? Once, when I was young and true, someone left me sad, broke my brittle heart in two, And that is very bad. Love is for unlucky folk. Love is but a curse. Once there was a heart I broke. And that, I think, is worse. Yeah, to inflict that pain on somebody. Jeez. Okay. Uh, This is another poem by Dorothy Parker. It's a little longer. Um, This is called Inscription... For the ceiling of a bedroom. Daily dawns another day. I must up to make my way. Though I dress and drink and eat. Move my fingers and my feet. Leave a learn, learn a little here and there. Weep and laugh and sweat and swear. Hear a song. Or watch a stage, leave some words upon a page, claim a foe, or hail a friend. Bed awaits me at the end. That's Dorothy Parker. Now, I wanted to read uh, one of my favorite poems by Edna St. Vincent Millay, who is actually from Maine. Um... This is called The Concert, and it's by Edna St. Vincent Millay, and I have to find it in my notebook here. Hold on, please. Mm-hmm. It's very important. I think poetry is important. Um, the, I think it's important to um, highlight women's achievements um, because for, for a long time, they were not um, acknowledged or praised or accepted even. Uh, so that's it's a really good thing. So let's see. I'm looking for the concert by Edna St. Vincent Millay because she is from Maine. Okay. All right. This is called The Concert. No, I will go alone. I will come back when it's over. Yes, of course I love you. No, it will not be long. Why may you not come with me? You are too much my lover. You would put yourself between me and song. If I go alone, quiet and suavely clothed, I will dine in a chair, and over my head a flame... A mind that is twice my own will mark with icy mirth 
the wise advance and retreat of armies within the country, storming a nameless gate, hurling terrible javelin sound, shouting from the wall a singing town where no women wait. Armies clean of love and hate, marching lines of pitiless sound. I really hate this phone. I really hate it. Well, armies clean of love and hate, and we'll stop right there with it. That's where the the picture went away. So, um, well, I am a main poet, so I'm going to read some of my poems. Uh, some poems that are apropos um, to maybe this time or things that are going on or for national, uh, for Women's History Month, really. Um, let's see. Oh, here's a haiku I wrote. This is called Suffragette. My dear suffragette, I won't take it for granted. I voted today, and I keep an I voted sticker in my car, uh, stuck either, let's see, I had it stuck on my uh, rear view mirror, but that impeded my vision, so now it's stuck down by my um well, you, people can still see it, and they are impressed that it's there. Um, I should put the um, date on it, but okay. Oh, um, I'm still a main poet. I'm still a female poet. Doesn't matter if I'm for Maine or not. Um, this is called Hands. This is about my husband um, and his Rubik's Cube. Um, he recently got a new Rubik's Cube. It's a speed cube. Um, it's specifically for um, competitions. But I'm going to read this one that I wrote originally. I may write a different one for this different cube. But this is called Hands, and it's written by me. Hands. Nails bitten to the quick. Fingers flying on a cube of Rubik. Colors flashing and matching. Blue and blue. Green with green. These are the fastest hands I've ever seen. How do you do that so fast? I ask, amazed. My best time in eighth grade was a minute and a half, he says. And I look up, and I, he looks up, and I see the nostalgia square in his eyes. All right. Uh, let's see. I think I have another one. Yes, I do. No, I have two more. All right. This one is very apropos for uh, Women's History Month. Um, this is called How to Be a Real Woman. And I capitalized the R and the W for real and for woman, and put the the word together like it's a person, like Superman, how to be a real woman. And these are all actual things that um, Annex said to me. Um, okay, how to be a real woman. Know how to cook. 
and use your rook. And let me look at other women. Throw your hair. Get a pretty pair. And never stare at me. Grow up. Cheer up. Do sit-ups. Stand up for me. Shut up, Valerie. Ride a bike. No whaling. And never try to psych me out. Driving around. Don't make a sound. As I comment on every woman around. You need a round butt. Get your body cut. And on command, act like a slut. Am I being heard? I hardly say a word. Make sure the coffee's stirred. Real women don't cry. Real women aren't shy. And they don't ask why. Get more educated. And when we're socially situated, don't act like we're together. Wear your clothes tight. Learn to drive right. And why do you have to write all the time? The end. I'm sorry if, if that one sounded uh, kind of angry. Um, I was kind of angry when I wrote it. Um, and the last poem by a woman poet who is me, um, it's called October Road. And this is about Sting. Um, my husband has been listening to a lot of Sting, so um, I thought about this poem. And I'll tell you what the song is based on after I read it. So this is called October Road, written by me. October Road. The trees are rusting and dying. The air is losing its heat and freezing to my windshield. Scrape, 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 Flying down the road is Gordon. I wonder if he is going further than she allows. Gordon is Gordon Sumner. Uh, that is Sting's name. Um, and that poem is based on She's Too Good For Me. There's a line in there that says uh, she won't let me go that far. So if he's running with me, I wonder, I'm wondering if she's if he's going further than she allows. And that is my uh, presentation for Women's History Month, Dr. Ingram. All right. Thank you so much, Valerie. First, I want you to thank you again. You are most welcome. I see him. I think my you. voice was going. That's okay. But I know you have questions for me. <laughs> yes. But I want to thank you for going first. That's never easy, but you got to start it in an incredible way. All right, fantastic. I do have a couple of questions. All right. What I'd like to know first is, and as I listen to your work, it just made me wonder, what role does gender play in your poetry, in your work? Excuse me. Um, As a woman, my perspective is going to be different from, you know, as a woman poet, my perspective from a man, a male poet but, um, like you is going to be different. So a good thing is to see if 
situation uh, from uh, both perspectives, if that makes sense. It does make sense. So you say you're seeing it from both perspectives. Correct. Yes, I can, I, can, I can show you what my reality for this is, the female gender perspective. Um, I can show you my truth, just like a man can show his truth. So I'm showing you the female truth. The female truth. Give me just a little bit more on that, the female truth. Uh, the female truth. The female truth. The only thing I can think of is um, abusive situations. What is the truth of the matter? Um, I don't know. But each person, they're living, what they have is their experience and do not belittle it or, or down it. You know, what she's feeling is valid. Mm-hmm. Um, the female truth. Uh, um it's very hard to define, but that was what I think gender. I think that's how gender plays a role. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, there have been many times when I've called you the haiku queen. So as you think about Thank writing you, yeah. haikus, as you think about writing haikus, talk about gender from that perspective because you only have a few words to to make a point. That's right. Um, yes. So I'm going to, again, it comes right down to um, my choice of words is going to be a lot different from a male poet. Mm -hmm. Um, That's all I can can think of. That is, again, that is the role of gender. You know, I'm telling you my female truth. All right. All right. You know, I asked, or I shared earlier that the theme of the evening is from whence we came. What do you think about that? What does that mean to you? From whence we came, the first thing I thought of is um, women marching, you know, in the 70s. You know, I've I've seen pictures of very old women you know, holding up signs going, I can't believe I have to protest this, you know, bleep again, this stuff again. But uh, from once we came, uh, the women that came before us that made it okay to do this, that, and the other thing, the things that, uh, you know, I I myself can take for granted. You know, uh, my grandmother and my grandmother's mother, they didn't take it for granted, I agree with that. What I'd like to do is to bring in your fellow poets for their thoughts and comments. I'd like to bring in Linda Embler, Linda Olson Graham. Uh, well, thank you. Well, I, I, and Jerry Lagardia is with me because you. All right, please, I knew it was Jerry. me because you said brilliant. This is Linda Embler. <laughs> All right. <laughs> uh, uh, r- real quickly, uh, I went and listened to each one of the. Uh, previous podcast that you did with these ladies and as well as the one that you did two weeks ago for mm-hmm. uh, the um, the poetry um, international Women's poetry Day. corner yes uh, yeah just are you there 
Uh, yeah, this, yeah. Uh, okay. Valerie, I just wanted to tell you, um, I enjoyed your statement about not all poetry is happy from your previous podcast. I really liked Thank that. You. And I, you, Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. And you had, you had a poem, I believe it was called Mud. And um, when I read poetry, I always like to find a line that makes me feel something or that conjures a visual image. And you had a line in that poem called The Goal Still on the Glider. I thought that was such a cool line. So oh, thank you. All right, all right, That's all it. right. All right, thank you. Linda Olson-Graham, any thoughts from you or comments? Well, Valerie, I'd, I'd just like to thank you for what you shared. It's it's an honor to be on the show with you, and um, you have a unique voice. And it was it was really a joy for me to hear what you shared. I didn't I didn't really pick out individual lines, um, but I, you know, I just I truly enjoyed what you shared. So thank you. All right. Thank you, Jerry. Thank you. All right. Sure. Jerry Jerry Laguardia Leonard. Thoughts or comments from you? Well, Valerie, thank you very much. I I happen to be a real fan of hands, so I I truly enjoyed um, your poem about the hands and the cubic. But uh, oh, thank I also you. want to thank you so much for acknowledging women's truth as valid. Mm. It I is. I thought that was a very important statement. And then uh, on Real Woman, uh, I'd be angry, too. <laughs> I felt angry with each statement as you read it. But I knew, I knew it had humor in it, you know. I, I mean, at least oh, yeah. I sounded humorous, but I also could relate. And that would have been, you know. It is a humorous piece, but it's got angry parts. It, it is. It is. It feels but, angry you know, to me, but it's also... Humorous, yes. Thank you. Yes, but it's very true. Anyway, thank you so much. I enjoyed All right. that. And You're I welcome. did listen. Uh, I did listen. Right. Went on your timeline and did listen. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. All right. All right. Thank you, Jerry, and thank you, Valerie, again for sharing your work. I really appreciate You're it. Most welcome. I yes. really appreciate it because you're right. Thank you. So often, women's voices are not heard. No. You're visible yet invisible in a sense, and that's not a good thing. It's not a good yeah. thing. I'd like to bring on now Linda Embler. Hello, everybody. Um, I, I have a little ditty that I came up with to kind of get through this, and um, <laughs> I'm going to start out with the first part, the p- first part of the little ditty. It's called um, Women Go Gothic, and the first poem is called The Looking. The woman newly become as wraith walks among the stones, lost yet looking for something she vaguely remembers. The dimming day like all the others, this oncoming night resembling many long past. What she wishes to find does not come easily to her mind, yet is all-consuming on her psyche. The weight of her heart, the weight on her heart is painful, but she must continue. For once she sights it, she will have tranquility after so much searching. So she seeks, seeks, seeks. Ah, there it is in the ground, so common looking like all the others. Yet this one is special because of him. And as she digs and digs down into the earth, 
knowing she will once finally more touch him 50 years after searching. And then she takes him into her arms, this tiny thing, once again to love him as before. The end. Next one is called Pose Annabelle Lee. I'm an Edgar Allan Poe freak, and so when it comes to Gothic, he's my man. But this is about a woman. Dearly departed, your face fitted inside the ornate filigree frame. Your feathered hat surrounds a raw-boned face. Your shoulders hold a filmy wrap of satin and lace. Your skeletal fingers shift into light on graceful hands. Velvet gloves clasped as you, the lost lover, endure your woeful waiting. As the pendulum wall clock ticks, and you hoard his books as you anticipate his arrival. Okay, the next part of the ditty is called Women Are Humane. This one's called The Man Moon. When I walk through that final door, I long to step onto the surface of a blood-red moon, where all the earth's new day's promises and passing days done deeds can only be observed by those who still breathe. This declaration of humanity's best intent even unto the last sliver of light. May I romp on for all time, floating joyfully from peak to peak, exploring the nethermost depths of each crater, polishing rocks as I go. My smile paramount to the light given off by the celestial orb of night, to be seen by the children of all places. For these are the souls that must be inspired. And someday, young stargazers, might look upon this spectacular rock, their hearts swelling with brighter promises, prompting a genesis of future, earnest purpose for healing the world. And they'll call to mom, call to dad, come and look, come and see the beautiful lady and the blood red, uh, the beautiful blood red moon tonight. The end. This one's called. This one's along the line also of. Um, humane um, as far as women it's called just like me and I think the ladies are going to appreciate this one when we get to the end when I get to the end of this one Uh, just like me oh I love her very much she looks just like me cry little girl throughout the world from America to Mozambique some small nosed dolls round faces with square jaws and dark almond eyes most pleasantly not at odds with, the surround, with the, the surround of straight, glossy, silky hair. Full lip dolls, broad noses at the bottom, long lashes at the top, elegant, graceful necks, each strand of hair coiled as if a separate galaxy. One soul could get lost there. Long-faced Nordic dolls with noses to match, straight ash blonde hair with eyes of green or blue. Red, curly-headed, hooded-eyed Irish, the paler-skinned sisters of the rest. Indian-Castilian mixed dolls, light or dark skin, Spanish-speaking mouths, dark, hypnotic, gypsy-like eyes that flash in the throes of a most magnificently played behind the beat lilt. Native American dolls, almond-shaped eyes once again, dark, coarse hair that lasts throughout a lifetime, High cheekbones on flat, on broad, flat faces were above our bright, shining eyes that see the land true. 
Little girls see dreams and hopes in these approximations. Yet she finds that watershed time when they cross the line from self-love to self-hate. How does it come to this? When they look in the mirror and all they see disparagingly is that one who looks just like me. Okay, my third ditty is when we get rowdy. This is probably my favorite one. When we get rowdy. Hear that, Michael? When we get rowdy. Okay, the bebop girls. The bebop girls prance down the street in short skirts, high heels, three chicken dinners. They hear the beat, the A section from the Savoy Ballroom, their destination every Saturday night after dark. Stamp on hand looks like a heart. Check IDs, fake, get in anyway if you look the part. Audience floor crowded, moving bodies swaying slap, fingers snap, 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 and snap. Watching the band trading fours, stolen kisses from the combo cats, off stage in corners, adduced ways of snow bought from stoners. Bathroom conference, go or stay, free drinks too hard to pass up, too many and you get loaded, upchuck queens at their porcelain thrones, time to leave when time spent more in the powder room than on the dance floor. The bebop girls stumble out the door, juiced up wrens, stagger down the street, still hearing the beat, that swanky sound from the Savoy Ballroom every Saturday night. Women also get rowdy when they're arguing just for argument's sake. My grandmother had the sacred heart portrait above her bed. It never raised the dead of my grandfather, nor my grandparents firstborn, but better the devil you know than the devil you don't. And the endless banter continued throughout the years as she demanded the return of what was hers and he insisted on keeping possession of what was his. I suppose this debate was resolved when she took her last breath. The end. The last one is women go insane. A backyard incident in St. Louis. My mother checks the yard for my brother every night by flashlight, forgetting he drowned. She's so certain he'll be found. My father took the blow-up pool to the dump six months ago. Only five inches of clear water, along with the grass clippings that fell off the soles of our feet. Butterflies and birds lined against yellow and blue rubber. A green garden hose sending joy and tragedy through the same tube. And each night, the crickets are no guide. And the fireflies unveil no hiding places. And all the calling in the world will never flip that switch back to bright. My last poem is Women Go Insane, called My Mother's Secret. I found my mother's secret tucked away in a drawer beneath some bras after she had gone away. Inside five boxes of feminine pads, piles of all descriptions without prescriptions. Such a canny mind. What I first thought is gross forethought in fact, was brilliant, the elegance of her secrecy. All these years of mindful outlet with numbness as the ghoul met, she closeting her pain, keeping the pretense of a younger woman's necessity when, in fact, no younger woman could have harbored so many years of ache. Thank you, everybody. That's it. Thank you so much, Linda Embler. Beautiful work as usual. Welcome. I enjoy hearing you. your work. 
you know, you've been with me a number of times, mm-hmm. probably more than almost anyone else. What role do you feel that gender plays in your poetry? In my poetry, uh, it doesn't necessarily play. Um, I strive to be more, univer- you know, pretty universal in the way that, that I write. Um, I think poetry is an excellent vehicle for writing about common concerns, common fears, hopes, dreams, uh, and common constructs that affect all of humanity. Some of my poems, some of them are filtered through the sieve of a partic- my particular gender. Uh, but unlike you, I noticed that you, you uh, in, in your radio uh, interview, your but congratulations, by the way, and your inspired poetry corner recital. It was brilliant. Thank you. Uh, my favorite poem in that was Aretha, and your the line in that crackles and clicks of yes. the uh, Queen Soulful Wales. That, that that was inspired. But there's something that you said at the end there. You were talking about the commonality in terms of our feelings, and empathy is the important thing uh, to change the world. And we all need to work together. And that, so that that's kind of where I'm at with uh, uh, it benefits us all to spend time looking for how we are more alike than how we are different. All right. You know, it's funny. I was thinking as you prepared your statements that as I've had an opportunity to listen to your work, I've often felt that it was relatively neutral. It wasn't this way or that way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Some Some of it is. I mean, you say some of it is. Some of it is. Yeah. Right, well, right. I feel like um, I feel like the bebop girls. Um, that's kind of a common experience for um, mm-hmm. a lot of young women to go to a club together as as girls and stay together as girls and you know show up together, hang out together, uh, leave together. That's that's a real mm-hmm. common experience. I think the whole idea of um, the dolls. Uh, you know, j- just the whole the, the whole self-image thing of women. You know, women get to somewhere along the line. There's a breakdown there where women start feeling that they're less than they should be, uh, or they're less than other people see them, or whatever. That's kind of where just like me comes out of um, the man in the moon. Is uh, you know, I noticed. I, I noticed. Of course, I wrote it. So of course, I noticed. <laughs> <something> <laughs> in. Um, I, I I put I I absolutely intentionally put blood red moon in there because of you know blood of women and uh, you know that that whole uh, tide cycle thing mm-hmm. and uh, uh, backyard incident in St Louis I could have written that either way but that's actually based off a semi autobiographical well it is autobiographical but it didn't have the kind of ending that it had. Yeah, my brother actually did survive uh, and did not drown. But mm-hmm. it, it, so that's one of my what if points, and I it, and I know you and I talked about my what if poems a lot because those are kind yes. of you know what what I do. So anyway, so that's um, yeah, kind of where I'm at on that. Now, do you think that gender bubbles beneath the surface in your work? 
I think I think it probably I think it probably does. Um, I've only written one poem as from from a totally male perspective. It was a male beat poet and uh, about his experience and their in it and everything. Uh, but I think most of my poems have have a woman's touch in them, even though, mm-hmm. like you said, they're I, I I try and keep them I try and keep them neutral. Mm-hmm. I remember your piece about B.B. King, <laughs> uh, and I oh, heard a woman's yeah. touch in that poem, <laughs> a beautiful, yes, beautiful piece. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Well, and then, of course, and I'm not reading it tonight, but of course, Michael, there is war paint. <laughs> yes, I do remember. <laughs> well, let me bring in your fellow poets for their thoughts, all right? Okay. Again, again Valerie Beers. Well, Linda Olson-Brain. Well, I'm a poet lover also, Jerry so thank you, Linda. Thank you. I love the poem. You're welcome. Like Me and Bebop Girls. Those really had me sitting up, making, you know, my ears are pricking. If you can think of what it's all like, it's like, ooh, <laughs> my favorite. Here you go. Right. So That's very right. good. Right. A jazzy thing. Thank you. All right. All right, Linda Olson Graham, your thoughts, please. Well, Linda, I really enjoyed the rhythm of your poetry, and early mm-hmm. on when you shared, there were some descriptives about eyes, gypsy eyes, and um, you know other eyes, and I, it it touched me. So it was lovely to hear what you shared. I, I really enjoyed it. Thanks so much. Thank you. All Thank right. you very much. Oh, you are. Jerry Laguardia Leonard, talk to us. Yes, I'm here. Linda, thank you so much. Uh, I I really love the rhythm in Bebop Girls, like, um, because it read almost like dance steps. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. that that was a, a, a lot of fun. And the, the, doll, the doll poem really struck a note, and it, it reminded me I had Lucille Ball's Doll, the boy, the first son she had. And yes. uh, they came out with the doll, uh, which was mm-hmm. perfect for me, and I became a mother of three sons. But anyway, um, yeah. it made me think of the storybook dolls. And, uh, I, you know, I didn't, com- I didn't compare myself to them. I, I would dress up at Halloween to be glamorous like them. <laughs> so I, I, you know, I guess I was kind of fortunate, but I certainly understand that whole doll thing. And um, the mother's secret really resonated because I, looking in my mother's top dresser drawer, uh, I found uh, that she, she, we had been celebrating her wedding anniversary all these years uh, on July second or some such date, and I saw where she and my father had a marriage license with a different date and I confronted her on it I was just in her bedroom and then I, you know I was like 12 years old or 13 uh-huh. and uh-huh. she had told uh-huh. me, she told me that she and my father had eloped uh, and then uh, the my grandmother was very upset so they had to be married in the church sure so that really sure. struck a yeah. note too anyway thank you yeah. Most <laughs> you're welcome thank you everybody Jerry, you stated that you confronted your mom. <laughs> yes, well, I said to her, how come this 
How come this is July 2nd? I thought you and Dad celebrated July 6th. And she sort of coyly stood by the door and sat down on the bed and and told me, you know, that she they eloped. And my grandmother, my Italian Catholic grandmother, was very upset mm-hmm. and bought her a wedding dress and insisted they be married in the church. All right. All right. So, very nice. It's a cute <laughs> story. Drama. It is. I, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. I'm a comedian, so. Well, I'd like to thank you again. And I'd like to bring you to the stage you. Jerry LaGuardia Leonard. You're on. Okay, my turn. Well, let me do just a brief uh, thank you so much, by the way, for asking me. It's just an honor for me. I I feel very comfortable around you, and that's so important. Uh, But I have not uh, introduced myself to uh, the group and anyone listening. And uh, just quickly, uh, I was born and raised in Denver and then lived in Northern California for 34 years. And I did everything backwards. You know, first I got married and had three sons, and then I decided to go to college. So it was really difficult but uh, I studied the performing arts, acting in plays in college, and uh, in a, an award-winning traveling children's theater. Uh, and my favorite performances actually were on the radio during commercials. And then uh, I did have poetry uh, published in the college magazine and my articles on women's issues. Clear back then in the early 1970s, Uh, were feathered in the college newspapers. And eventually I majored in sociology and certified in chemical dependency, then taught men and women for 15 years in jail programs. Uh, You know, as a child with no television, my entertainment came through reading books and my imagination. I was was a dreamer. And uh, then after retirement and children and all of that, I finally got back to writing a little bit of poetry, and that's where I stand now. So thank you very much. So, Michael, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Oh, good. Okay, good. Uh, So I didn't know if you wanted to ask me a question or if you want me to read poetry, which is fine. I'd, I'd like you to share your work, and then I'll ask Good. you a couple of questions. Perfect. All right. All right. Thank you. Um, the first poem, since I mentioned my mother, uh, the first poem is about my mother, and uh, I'm in the poem, and I'm wondering if uh, she ever had uh, pursued any dreams because she really never talked about it. We just assumed that she had always wanted to be a mother of four children and a housewife. Cavorting dreams. She plays with delight her favored child's game, her propped-up dolls with fixed eyes watching her, dancing and singing and make-believe across the make-do cardboard stage. She explores all who occasion her dreams, whether it be a healer or hero or an astronaut, For now, a glamorous spotlight takes center stage, for she never expects to follow her mother's footsteps. 
always wondering if her mother ever had secret dreams that passed her by, long forgotten, and if now, when she sees her stare at the stars, they appear too elusive and faded, giving her reason for her wistful sighs. And then the second poem is... um, the, the, the little dreamer, the, the child daydreaming. And it's titled, In Pursuit of Dreams. As a child, playing make-believe, a blustering wind pushing a wondrous cloud, filled with imagination and dreams, swept by so low, her curious hand bravely took hold, and she was carried away across the vast horizon of possibilities to seek adventures unknown to her, and for the rest of her life, ensconced on that cloud, she, mellowed by the vibrancy, attained her unimagined dreams, which one by one, she won. And then, I'd like to read uh, a poem about coming back to Colorado and visiting uh, uh, my grandmother's farm, which had been destroyed. uh, And it's called The Subjugation of a Farm. The old neglected farm languishes, distraught by overgrown weeds. I kneel to inhale the sweaty defeats and triumph seeping from the dark humus Reminding me of bygone green fields, I see the revered tattered barn shading my grandmother's silhouette, her silver braid a shiny halo as she bends bunching onions singing, I'm a lonely little onion in a petunia patch, while white hands cluck along in discord and gaily flap their red combs, unaware of the impending high-rise condos and consequent contraction of space. Someday over wine, I expect I'll ruefully reminisce this pastoral era and how inevitable change contorts lives. And then I uh, attended Catholic school, and this is about my first communion. It's called Lasting Impressions. Seated in the two back pews of the cavernous church, nuns keen-eyed as magpies have taken my malleable innocence under their wings. I am six years old, a naive fairy tale believer, dressed in white like a storybook bride. Perplexed by the mystical tales of bread and wine being his body and blood, as mysterious as the dimmed umber aura streaming through stained glass windows and as mesmerizing as the nun's warbling canticles guiding me to the altar where I'm held spellbound by soulful and pious stony statues Faces with seemingly alive eyes compelling me to kneel. And as instructed, I open my quivering birdie mouth 
except bread placed on my tongue. Hear the priests murmur the body of Christ, swallowed whole, forever caught in my throat. And this, uh, I, I, after, after working in the jail, uh, you know, for so many years, I found that um, gardening really saved me and allowed me to work for many more years than I had ever thought I would. And uh, this poem is called, um, it's about intrusion from the deer. Anyway, it's called Sanctified Survival. The desperate herd of pretty-faced deer, starving and thirsty, moved down the parched hills, their anxious eyes spotting a lush garden, being diligently tended by the gardener, who is startled by their sudden loud rustling as a four-point buck intent on grazing pushes from the bushes, challenging her with her crowned rack. She retreats as his clacking hooves signal trusting does who take dainty choreographed steps into the open, cautiously followed by wobbly-legged fawns. The grower is mesmerized by the gaunt dozen and concedes her garden in silent acceptance, their busy bearded lips beheading every glorious bloom. Ruthless warriors, unperturbed by her sweaty brow or her hard calloused hands, their animal instinct contrived and devoted to their own survival. And the first time my husband ever came, my husband-to-be came to my front door, uh, he was very dressed up. Uh, anyway, he came with an overcoat, and a wool overcoat and a suit. And after that second date, uh, I definitely decided I was going to marry him. And I did, and we were together 48 years. And this is a tribute to his coat and him, Requiem for an Overcoat. The first time he appeared at my door, so debonair in his tweedy overcoat, exuding a whiff of tobacco aroma and smiling in wooly warmth, his brawny youth filled the room as he stood in grandeur, looking as though he'd won the world and now prepared to favor me. I took his coat and tucked my heart between its warm refinements. On that night, he promised his endearing heart to me. And in the ensuing years, the overcoat became so meaningful, protecting us against life's realities until one day his shadow suddenly vanished to a world without sun. The cherished overcoat then hung on a wooden peg, a forlorn vessel, until prompted by the winter's chill, I placed it on his earthly mound, returning some of the generous warmth he devotedly given to me. And this this poem uh, 
is for uh, the young, some of the young women that had come into my class and had been uh, uh, runaways and homeless. It's called Girl in the Night. She waits at the outdoor cafe, her porcelain face cast in surreal colors from the strip joints blinking neon lights, anxiously inhaling a cigarette with red pouting lips, then exuding gossamer smoke, whirling into a translucent halo, falling slowly onto disheveled, dyed black hair, a feeble effort to conceal her identity. She's clearly no longer shocked from the deliberate showcasing of porn in windows or girls posing seductively at curbside on constant alert for prospects in slowing cars, filled with guys her stepfather referred to as freaks, he being the worst freak of all. Later, unnoticed, she slips into the dank abandoned basement, still homeless and afraid in a city in repose, but clamoring to corrupt the likes of her. And not sure if I have time or not, but I have this fascination with benches, besides hands. <laughs> anyway, it's called the communal respite. The bench sits a stalwart entity, unassuming and silent, appealing to anyone wanting respite, be it the melancholic seeking rejuvenation from inconsistent moods or the penitent taking time to redress, while the proverbial downtrodden often regarded as a makeshift bed. And as sanctioned by the stars, strolling lovers continue to pause to ignite their passionate whims, whether pensive or taciturn, with joy or remorse. The bench promises reflective and renewal akin to the revered church pew. And that's the end. Thank you, Jerry. You're welcome. This beautiful, beautiful, touching, and poignant work. You know, you. you were with me. You were with me, actually, March 24th. 2021. And, I remember. Uh, <laughs> I, I knew do. I, I remember because my voice had it, it had become worn out and was very sounding uh, very old. Anyway, <laughs> I mean, there's well, an old inside me dying to get out, you know, but I right. won't let her. <laughs> well, I felt you did a fantastic job, and I knew that I had to have you back on the program. So thank you thank for you. being my, with my me. Honor. Well, thank you. Now, as you think about your work, Jerry, what role does gender play in your work? <clears throat> well, I, I really gave thought to it, and uh, uh, for, uh, for me, I... I I rely on how I think and feel, and that begins the process when I start to create a poem. 
And so for me, it is feminine to a large degree, although I believe I would be, I definitely could write a poem that you wouldn't be able to tell which gender it was. And Mary Oliver and Elizabeth Bishop were notorious for this. They wrote poetry purposely uh, with the idea of no one guessing particularly what gender was writing it. And uh, Elizabeth Bishop was very strict about it. So um, my conscious level, you know, probes this place and time and stored matter up to the surface. But that's when I, you know, I write from the conscious more than I write from the subconscious. And, you know, I, I try not to write it from a personal point of view, but that is very, very difficult for me uh, to a large degree. I just want to get those feelings and emotions down, you know, those thoughts about who I am. But I would say I write from a pen, uh, feminine perspective very definitely. Uh, especially being um, just a couple of units away from certifying in women's studies. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I, 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 I raised three sons, and I found that many of their emotions, of course, are similar to a woman's or girl's. But this world conditions us and sets us up... Um, in a much different vein. All right. All right. You know, I think the piece that touched me the most was the very first one. I think it was the first one. It was primarily oh. when you shared about your, you asked whether your, whether your mother had dreams or not. Yes, yes. And that one touched me because oh. I asked my mother a couple of years prior to her passing whether she had had other dreams and she said she'd always wow. wanted to become a nurse. And that stunned uh, me because she had never never talked about it, you know. No. You know, she's no, always they very were. helpful oh. to the world, but she'd never said a word about that. I never I would have yeah. never no, never they known weren't that. uh they didn't reveal the way uh on the personal this uh I I I it wasn't about them and they they learned about that. Well my mother was a fantastic cap dancer. Mhm. Wow. And we would get up and do our rock and roll, and she'd watch us in the living room, you know, and Albert Presley was out and all of this. And then we'd beg our mother to tap dance. And she was a heavy set woman. And we'd kind of giggle and whatever, but she but very elegant, though. And she was uh, so, so uh, light on her feet. <laughs> and she also told me, she said, you know, I, I was, I, did all of the backstage painting for some plays in high school. And I had never known that. But anyway, Mm -hmm. they're just these Mm -hmm. beautiful, beautiful women. We were so lucky to have them as role models. Well, that's a perfect segue into this next question. From whence we came, what does that mean to you? Pardon? Oh, yes. From whence, yes. Well, I, I, I could have written a Ph.D. on that, I think. Um, or for a PhD. Whoops. Let me get this up real quick because I 
I, I tell you what happened was I wrote two that were very much from more of a uh, expository paper. Mm-hmm. And then I woke up this morning with this muse uh, in bed writing, and it's kind of like, are you crazy? Well, uh, I think I'll probably write a poem about it. But anyway, I kind of had to gather it back. So I, I would say that, you know, women's history uh, had been built upon the edifice of mystical history. And in the beginning, there was only chaos that existed until Gaia, the supreme goddess mother of all life, was born as Earth. And she is our connection to the earth, holding our ashes in her earthly soil, fertilizing the food that gives nourishment. All right. Wow, very nice. Um, well, and I would say also that from the moon, its yellow eye of understanding allows front, side, and back views of all that is churning around us. Mm-hmm. Wow. And, of course... Aphrodite, I, I could, I won't go through all of these goddesses, believe me. Um, mm-hmm. But Aphrodite, the ultimate goddess of love, pleasure, passion, and procreation, bends us towards our beneficence and creative powers. Wow. A little well, bit me... about the influence of politics that plays in our societies mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and well, in our me... literature. Let... And programmed me, in our educational system. Well, <laughs> I'm really excited about what you're sharing. So I want to bring in your fellow poets for their thoughts and comments. Again, Valerie oh, Beers, yeah. Linda Embler, and Linda Olson Graham. Please share. Well, Jerry, um, you have a very strong voice and a great. Those are. You had some great descriptions in your in your poems, and the fact that you, um, in your seventies college newspaper, you know women's issues, fantastic, fantastic. I really <laughs> love um, overcoat. You know, a poem about an ordinary, not so ordinary to you, not so ordinary to him, but it's just a detail. Love it, love it, love it. All right. Well, All thank right. you. I, I love imagery and mm-hmm. and descriptions. You know, I study things. I stare and study. I always have people, how they talk, uh, and I feel their energy. So All description right. is perfect for me, and maybe one of these days I'll learn to do a little more metaphor. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. Linda Embler, what are you thinking? Uh, oh, Jerry, I'm so glad that you read The Subjugation of a Farm because that was my favorite poem. That was the one that in the, the podcast that I read that struck me. And the reason it really struck a chord about the effort that women put into things, with that whole sweaty defeat, I mm. thought, wow. Okay, because uh, that was really, really, those were some powerful words. Your, tonight, your overcoat one was so beautiful. And the yes. other thing, real quickly, that I that I learned about um, about you on your podcast is I love the variety of ways that you present your work. Uh, I know you don't have time to talk about that tonight, but you do broadsides and do all this other stuff. I think that's really, really cool. Thank you for oh, reading well, to us. All right, very Thanks. nice. 
Linda Olson Grant. I'm glad Grant. that you like subjugation of the farm. And that, that was picked up by a magazine. So I didn't enter it, but someone picked it up. I was very pleased, and I know my grandmother would be pleased. Mm-hmm. Yes. Linda Olson Graham, your thoughts. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, so hi, Jerry. I really love the poem that you did about your first communion. I, I just, yes. And then, you know, your descriptions have been commented upon. You had descriptions of deer eyes, I believe, in one of your poems, and I love that. And then I loved your poem about your marriage. I just, it oh. was really a hear what you shared. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. That was so one of my favorite uh, poems. And, um, all right, then. appreciative for all of your kind comments. Thank you. Thank you again, Jerry LaGuardia Leonard. All right. Now. Fun. You know, with COVID, we couldn't... I couldn't uh, go read anywhere, so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in a well, long I'm glad time. You're with I me tonight. Thank you. All right, Thank all right. You. you know, our next poet, Linda Olson Graham, she has a strong interest in the earth and saving <laughs> the world from itself. And I'd like to bring her on. Linda? Love it. Okay. Please share your work. All right. Oh, Michael, what an honor it is to be with you. I feel, and to hear everyone's work, I just feel proud to be on the show with everyone, and um, thank you so much. Um, My writing is under the name Earth, Ocean, Heavens, and it's a name that came to me out in the open ocean. I sailed thousands of miles in my 20s, and that name came to me just somewhere, just a thought that I'd publish a book someday by that name, and actually all these decades later, I mean, it's been a few of them. Um, I have a website titled Earth, Ocean, Heavens, and on the homepage, there's a 76-page book with the same name that has poetry and photography, photography from the Caribbean and then natural beauty presence photos. And as a wonderful result of being on Michael's show, I was Michael's guest in September, one of his previous guests, Letitia Kolawali um, heard my writing about how peace can be achieved and et cetera and contacted me and honestly, organically I don't know how to describe it any other way in a couple of months he included some of my poetry in a book that's on Amazon titled Save the Earth. It has 60 60 pages of his poetry and He invited me to send him some of my poetry, and a week later I had a first draft with my poetry included in the book, and I'm just so proud. So what I'll share this evening are pieces that are in in both books, you know, one or the other. Um, And I thought that what I'd start with is, it's when I hear talks, I write very fluidly. It boils down from what the person says, and a lot of times it's said in my own writing. And I heard a Zen master talk. Um, he probably talked for 35 minutes or so, and, you know, more than a half hour. And these are my notes. I just, you know, sometimes it's said poetically. It's not exactly what he said. It's not shorthand notes. It's, you know, longhand. Um, so I'll just share the piece. Zen, life is here, life is now. 
do it, be it, wisdom, softening in our presence. What is it we need to hold up to face the world? Who am I expecting myself to be? We are so blessed by the presence of presence. Uh, Time to trust more. Sense of space, which will allow clarity. Make contact. Be okay with who we are. Center ourselves. Make connection. Find the space that has clarity and openness. Reach a place of settledness and centeredness. Remember to connect, to open. Have a way to support ourselves, to remember who we are. Our capacities to bring forth a sense of connectedness. Learn how to make that contact. Explore how to do that. Deepen our sense of being. Soften the face. Open the heart. Learn to trust. Start to see the face I bring to everything in the world. Look at it. If it has anxiety, depression, if it has inadequacies that need to be covered up, see, who is this person? These questions are like jewels that we have to savor. Everything is an answer relating to how we relate to the world. Sit on a spacecraft, read, then try to bring that home to places of intensity and potency and expression of my existence. Buddhism suggests start off where it's easy. Notice the obvious mystery of being alive. Carry it forward. Start to see. Remember that we do it our way. Then we have to find a way. Find out what touches our heart. Then look at the teachings. They offer us a map. Every spiritual discipline offers us compassion, patience, etc. Spirituality transcends the tradition. It goes underneath it. Then ask the way to bring spirituality, compassion, etc. into my life. When we see where we're separate, that's our path. When we see our yearning, if only, etc. The spiritual path asks us to make this amazing turnaround. Look at what is the source of this discomfort. Find out what touches our heart. Then look at the teachings. They offer us a map. Every spiritual discipline offers us compassion, patience, etc. Spirituality transcends the tradition. It goes underneath it. Then ask the way to bring spirituality, compassion, etc. into my life. When we see where we're separate, that's our path. When we see our yearning, if only, etc. The spiritual path asks us to make this amazing turnaround. Look at what is the source of this discomfort. If we're angry, greedy, etc., it's a start to actually seeing. Have compassion for ourselves. In the Zen path, we develop the capacity to notice three qualities. Attention, attention, attention. Honesty facilitates attention. Humility contributes. Be candidly honest with ourselves. The dark night of the soul, what does that mean? In Zen, sit there, be with it, stay open to what's going on. In the craft of meditation, it's okay to experiment. Ask, in what way does the breath facilitate this opening, allow the struggle to be turned into acceptance? The world has not abandoned us. It is also the source of our joy. We have to experience it by ourselves to trust it completely. Allow myself to trust, which has to be earned. Discover that experience and deepen it 
right down into our bones. Each person must find their path and explore it for themselves. Have the blessing of meeting each such experience. Let it be a clue. What supports us? What will guide us? What will inspire us? Be willing to have a more honest, radical perspective of our lives. Greet it with an open hand. Allow them to become our allies instead of our enemies. Can you imagine what it must be like for a dying person to realize how there's no turning back? Can we be satisfied by the softness of the sheets? Keep our hearts open. We will see there are teachers everywhere. The world guides us. The contact we're making with our experience is where we'll start to see our authentic face. We don't have one single for our lives. The occasions when things drop away are real. Turn towards our ordinariness. Have honesty and acknowledge these moments. It's okay to put ourselves in situations where there's growth. So that was actually the end of when the Zen master was talking, and I immediately wrote in very large letters on the page, has there been a shift? And then I wrote in two columns, pretty much one word under the other. A few times there's a few words together, but um, it's time to settle into transformation and accept our divinity as we become quieter and calm our hearts and minds. I feel the peace will come. So that's that Zen piece. Um, I'll share a poem titled Destination Peace on Earth. And this poem, actually, um, someone said to me, used to live on a sailboat. I mean, it had been decades before, but he said, you you should write a poem about the bow of the boat. And this is the poem that I wrote. There could be someone on the bow of our boat. Our boat is our planet Earth. The landfall that's being pursued, peace. Planet Earth appears to be going through hell. War, destruction, poverty, starvation only begins a list of horror. I've actually added terrorist attacks and the pandemic only begins a list of horror. Is it time to enter the next thousand-year cycle, an age foretold with peace and light and beauty? Yes. Poem titled Beginnings. Beginnings from creation breathe peace and joy and balance. They are what reality is made of. Humanity chooses. Breathing. How conscious we are of our breath in each moment as it enters and exits our body determines our experience. Letting go of thinking gently with very little effort is an essential component. We, as a collected race of people, could enter what's called heaven. Here now, we simply need to choose it. And then a poem titled Heaven. Heaven is a breath away. It's this close. Look, I'm breathing. Consciousness can be multiplied by mankind watching breathing. What a concept. An even larger concept. Breathe in through the crown, which is the top of the head, out through the navel. Hence, heaven. And then this next piece, um, I wrote, actually, I had an exhibit up in September 2001 at a bank. It was a long hallway leading from the parking lot into the bank, and I had a lot of big sky photographs and um, a few pieces of art with writing in 20 by 24 inch frames, half inch writing, and one small piece of art with four thoughts in it. 
The morning of September 11th, I was doing home health care here in Cape Cod with two ladies next door to each other. One called the one that I was with and said a plane just hit the World Trade Center building. And, um, you know, I saw the rest of the experiences unfold at the other ladies' apartment, what happened in Washington. Just, you know, the rest of the day really was stirred in my heart. And the next morning at 4 a.m., I woke up. I I had co-directed an art museum, and it was amazing, but I ended up with the frames when the art museum closed, and um, I pulled out a 30 by 40 frame, and two of the lines that were already in the exhibit in a small piece of art I extracted, and I'll share those with you, and it's what I put in this large frame and asked the ladies at the bank if I could take down part of my exhibit and hang this new piece of art in the exhibit, so... One of the lines opened a poetry festival master class when the gentleman said, write about something you have an interest in, and he inserted phrases that were like you then. So the first thing, you know, I opened that exercise with a long, complex question simply stated, has the time arrived when humanity is able to digest the remarkable reality of just how simple it could be to shift the Earth's vibration? So the morning of September 12th, I extracted that line, which was already in the, in a small piece of art and exhibit. And another thought that was in that small piece shared about the French philosopher Théodore de Chardin, who created the word newosphere to describe a layer of thought that hovers above nature and acts as a universal consciousness. It's what people think of as the one mind or the collective consciousness. Chardin actually felt that our thoughts are collected in an energy field. And that's when I, this concept was born, that if enough people could quiet their thinking minds just for a few minutes daily, what would be reflected back would be more peaceful, more calm, and more loving. So incrementally, I believe it's a formula for global peace. Um, I really do believe positive thought uh, you know, I I was taught to meditate and chant on a mountaintop in Haiti. I, I mentioned that I sailed, and um, the meditation was with a mantra, and I had a really profound, I mean, it was just, I met an American couple in a mountain village. I was in Port-au-Prince for three months on, in the harbor on a sailboat, and um, I found that, like, my vegetables were half what they cost in Port-au-Prince if I went up to a mountain market, met a couple, we became friends. I introduced them to the captain. They'd come down to the boat, have dinner, spend the night. We'd go up there, we'd have dinner, spend the night. And one day Steve said, I could teach you and Joseph to meditate and chant. And, you know, the meditation was with a mantra, and the chanting was nam myoho renge kyo um, I found out 20 years later, I didn't know for 20 years it's affiliated with Nishran Buddhism, but the focus of it is to affirm positive thoughts while one is chanting on the Horenge Kyo. So, and also at another time in my life, I took a course in creative visualization, which really parallels the same thing where visualizing what one wants to create in one's life, to hold those thoughts in one's mind and have that be one's focus rather than looking out at the world and, you know, amplifying what's going on to do one's best to send quiet energy out. And I just really feel that it could make all the difference in the collective experience 
humanity is having. So a line that closed, um, my, my new, I have a new website. I had two websites for a couple of decades, and my niece, Jen Olson, um, offered to create a new website for me, Earth, Ocean, Heavens. And um, one, of my, the, one of my older websites closed with the line, please hold the thought with me that peace on Earth and calmer weather patterns can easily happen in a moment or two of silence in enough of the collective mind. And I'm going to share a poem um, to end, which is an interesting, I hadn't thought of it before, but I just entered my thoughts. So I, I lived in Denver for a long time. Um, I went out there for two weeks, and I ended up being in Colorado. After I was sailing, I ended up being in Colorado for 17 years. And I wrote this poem while I was there. Sky edge, mountain peaks, a sea of city lights illumines nighttime in the minds of men. Awaken, still news of joy is quiet, still full the day. Thank you so much, Michael. All right. Thank you. Thank you. You know, your writing is extremely contemplative. And <laughs> your, your, your poetry and your writing are contemplative. And, you know, contemplative writing asks us to slow down, to meditate, to know ourselves better, and to bring intention to all communicative acts in terms of our reading and our writing and listening and speaking, witnessing and testifying. So thank you. Thank you. Oh, thanks, Michael. For helping us slow down. Helping us slow (laughs) down. So as you think about your writing, my friend, what role does gender play in your writing? Well, I thought about that actually in great depth, and I honestly don't think it plays any part. I think, you know, it comes, it's a neutral voice that speaks. I don't feel that where I'm coming from comes from a feminine place. And I really don't think the poetry leans, you know, to what it speaks of leans one way masculine or feminine. It's more for the collective of humanity. I mean, there's one poem that I wrote about my mother, which you could consider would be a feminist poem. And I'd love to share it if I could. Yes, please. Okay. So, um, I mean, I was part of a poetry group in Sarasota, and they said, write a poem about your mother. So, um This is what I wrote. My mother was an angel with wings of grace and beauty, wisdom and tolerance, gentleness and kindness, care packages for years were some of her attributes. She allowed me to be my own person and didn't judge me. I've taught you the difference between right and wrong. You have to make your own decisions. Gave me freedom I took advantage of. When I reflect on dynamics of someone who supported me, loved me, Gave me greatest joy, laughed with so hard I had to pull the car off the road, even encouraged me to travel with the gentle who was a gentleman who was capital W wild and capital C crazy, who I then sailed thousands of miles with. I breathed with deepest gratitude. So that's wow. the end of that poem. Yeah, I, I, she had already passed on when I wrote it, but I'm sure she was smiling. <laughs> Well, speaking of that, speaking of that, what does the phrase from whence we came mean to you? Well, I just, you know, I believe there's a greater reality. 
Um, I, I've practiced this niche in Buddhism for years, and the belief in that path is really that we are the ones that can create the future and that we create everything. Um, I've had experiences where I've really, I mean, I had a critical head injury 30 years ago, and it was so spiritual, and it really, I had a, a really sense of higher, a higher being and a visual of creation that was, um, it's de- the visual of creation is it's described in a book called the Urantia Book with seven super universes evolving around a central place called the Isle of Paradise. And I had that visual in my mind's eye just off and on right after this critical head injury, which was really profound. And that's when a lot of my writing came through with lines that, you know, I extracted 80 lines at that time. I could share a couple of those that are really applicable right now. One is crisis can bring about an evolutionary leap. Another one is there are laws of manifestation. We, in fact, are co-creators and can more fully actualize our experience. Um, mm-hmm. We're co-creators. So from whence we came, I I do believe that there's an energy in the universe that, you know, it's it's so many people have so many feelings about what is, you know, what where we're from and what is and so I try to be neutral in what I say. I really make an effort. But I just I do feel that there's inspiration that comes when one I've been med you know, I, I didn't call it meditation when I was a teenager, but I started going within and asking, should I do this? I mean if there was something and I would listen for a while and, and I went I I my life has been guided by that those that voice within and then you know, when I became involved with um, it was Unity Church, I really had more of a sense of of listening to that that still small voice within. I I think that's our guiding light. Is right, right. The inner voice. Well, I'd like to bring in your fellow poets for their thoughts. Oh, thanks, Michael. Yes, again, Valerie Beers, Linda Embler, and Jerry Laguardia Leonard. Please share. Well, congratulations on being on Amazon. What a a pleasant, unexpected, pleasant surprise that is. Oh, it it honestly just happened organically. I mean, within a few months, it would. You know, I I mean, I couldn't have, I couldn't have thought of a prayer to ask for it, and it and it just happened. It was really, it is really wonderful. It's not was it? It is. My my friend and her husband live on a sailboat, so I really enjoyed that. Uh Uh-huh. You you have amazing um, imagery and descriptions in your poems. Just wow. Oh. Oh, thank you so much. You're welcome. All right. Jerry or Linda? Linda here. Um, Linda to Linda. Uh, I, I think the thing that I most appreciate about your work is your poetry reflecting your mindfulness of nature's best. Um, I remember from the, listening to your podcast, my favorite line in one of your poems, it was so cool. We are all facets of the diamond, which is God. 
I thought that was so beautiful and so brilliantly done. And oh, thank um, you so much. When it, yeah, when it when it comes to being inspirational about seeing all of us as a community of humans, that that was very cool. All right, all right, Jerry. Any thoughts? Well, I just enjoyed it all so much, especially at the very beginning. You said, uh, quoting or saying from your notes, "Do it, do it," and uh, it was just such an invitation. <laughs> and then uh, trust, not only to allow it was a, to allow yourself to trust, because. You know, I came came from a family system where we uh, we were told we didn't uh, learn to trust except relatives. Mm. It was a big Italian family, and so outside of that realm, uh, we thought people were different. So it took me many years, uh, even though I had very close friends, to learn to trust. But your work reminds me so much of a man called David White, and I'm not sure if you're familiar with him, but he also does very philosophical prose and poetry, just marvelous. Uh, As pardon, David White, but it's W H Y T E, and I I hope you do, and and uh, John. John uh, Jonathan Donahue, uh, that is was an ex priest and passed away very young, and you would enjoy his work immensely, also. Um, mm-hmm. And I hear heard so much wisdom that we we all need to hear today. We we really do. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. And and any kind of words on humility. Um, because the older I become, the more humble I become. And I really related to your Colorado poem since I lived here. Oh, I lived right in at, You know, in Highlands Ranch, which is outside of Denver. Anyway, thank you so much. It was just beautiful, Linda, and I wish you well. Thanks, yeah. Oh, thank you so much. I'll, I'll oh, go in and so listen. Much. You know, I don't, uh, I know I listened to. Two of the women and then got busy. I don't think I got to everyone, but I, I <laughs> definitely will. Fantastic. Well, crazy. from whence we came, women in poetry, we've reached the end of our journey tonight as we celebrate National Women's History Month. Any final comments from anyone before we close out? I hope no, thank you, everybody. has been spread. Yeah, we all oh, want sorry. to jump in. <laughs> okay, one at a time. One at a time. <laughs> I'll call your name. All right, uh, Valerie, your final thoughts. And please tell us about your book, Valerie. Uh, my book is called Scratching the Surface. It's on Amazon. Um, but I really hope that awareness was spread for Women's History Month. Uh, mm-hmm. I'll I got to tell two women that didn't even know about International Women's Day or Women's History Month. Mm-hmm. 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 Very important. All right, all right. Linda Embler, and tell us about your book, Linda. Or books, rather. Okay, Doubt and Truth, 
Doubt and Truth. It's on Amazon. Ladies, thank you. This was marvelous. And, Michael, Mm -hmm. you know I thank you deeply. (laughs) I know. All right, all right, all right, all right. Jerry LaGuardia Leonard, any final thoughts from you? Well, I, I, I just thought it was a marvelous group, and uh, I thank you, Michael. It's always just such a pleasure uh, being with you. You know, you're not dry, and uh, you're approachable. <laughs> yes. And, <laughs> I've listened before to your interviews and your your questions have depth and they're meaningful uh, I, I it's very impressive and I thank all of the women I always learn from other women always all right all right and Linda and Wilson thank you Graham, to any audience that's listening you know yes yes I'm going to thank them as well Linda any final thoughts from you also well, I just I want to thank everyone it was a joy to be with the other poets and Michael, I'm appreciative to you for what you do and for inviting me. I just it was a joy to to be on the show and um I wanna thank you so much. All right. You know, Women's History Month celebrates achievements and accomplishments. Yes. And I wanna commend all of you for achieving in the field of poetry and accomplishing so many other goals in your lives. So I want to thank you for being thank with you. me. It's been a, a beautiful yeah. program, and I just I enjoyed hearing the different voices, the different perspectives. It's just been fantastic. And to the listening audience, <laughs> we want you to go out and celebrate Women's History Month because it's so important. Because without, a, without you, there will be no us. So, again, thanks to everyone. And to the listening audience, as I share every time we're together, let poetry ring somewhere throughout the land. Good night, everybody. Good night, everyone. Good night. Good night. Good night. Thank you. Good night. Yes. Thank you. Good night, ladies. <laughs> All right. Good night, everyone. Quintessential Listening Poetry Online Radio is available on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. You can also check out the website at qlpor.com.